0: on SAFM
1: Let me welcome onto the show for our next conversation Qolelo ka shekadia, the acting project leader for the Indulamiti scenarios trust Qolelo good
0: morning to you Uh, Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for having us and good morning to your listeners at home. I'm missing you in studio today, Kolelwa. The last
1: time I was able to look you in the eye while you told us about just some of the work that, that, that you're doing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, it was such short notice, but next time I promise I will come to studio so that we can look each other in the eye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Let me also welcome Dr. Yakub Abba Oma, Director of Operations at the Mapungube Institute. Uh, Dr. Oma, good morning to you.
2: Hi, Kathy, and morning to the listeners. Good to be here, and I hope I'll join Toleda when she comes to your studios.
1: Absolutely. You're both welcome. Uh, a good place to start, I think, Kolelo, would be just to uh, talk a little bit about the work that Indulamiti uh, has been doing over the last couple of years when it comes to the scenario planning um, around South Africa and really what the purpose of this work is.
0: Thank you for that question, Kathy. As you know, I mean, uh, Indlamiti uh, was launched in twenty eighteen as the scenarios, but the work started, you know, uh, about a year or so before that in twenty seventeen. And you will recall all the challenges that we're having then, with the context really being. You know, uh, the state capture and build up towards this uh, state capture uh, uh, commission, but also it was at the tail end of the student uprising, uh, fees must fall, and so on. So, a collective of uh, various institutions and individuals came together to come up with a scenarios building process, which sort of like resembles the process we went through uh, just before our transition to this democratic transition which was the mount fle scenarios i heard earlier you mentioned um i think the presidential scenarios with the skadunk and so on so in a way it's a continuous uh, continuation of that tradition of building scenarios so that we can plan more strategically and have fore- foresight that is informed by uh, forward-looking thinking that's more long-term and hence uh, the, now the extension to 2035 in terms of the current uh, scenarios. We promote a national dialogue uh, as we build the scenarios, but we also communicate them uh, across the country. We also have a barometer that we launched which serves then to measure where we are in terms of the three scenarios that we had presented that you may know that was the Guara Naila walk and um, uh, NDC Bourgeois. So year on year, we've been releasing results until last year. So post COVID, what we realized that um, uh, the, the pandemic seemed to have uh, intensified, you know, some of the storylines with some of the things that we imagined would happen, for example, by 2025, 2027, we're already imagining during the pandemic. And that's why then we decided that we needed to go back to the drawing board to start a new process, extend the horizon from 2030 to 2035, to ensure that we also capture within our stories, you know, issues such as, you know, uh, the global uh, phenomena, such as pandemics, um, climate change, and, um, uh, you know, developments around technology. So now we're still using the same methodology as before, which is the intuitive logic school, uh, which I'm sure Dr. Abba Omar will speak more to it because he's leading the research team there. But uh, it's the same process. What has changed now is the key question. You will recall the last time it was Uh, Is it possible for South Africa to attain social cohesion by 2030? This time around, the key question is what would South Africa look like in 2035? And we went through the whole process of identifying variables and key drivers and so on. And now we're at a point where we are drafting the stories and they still have to be tested and revised before our launch in October.
1: Oleloa, thanks for that. We'll continue the conversation with you in a moment. I'll also give uh, Abba an opportunity to come on and at least explain to us um, just what is going to go into this work and also the changing of questions, right? When we move on, to a new question: Is it because we've satisfied ourselves um, with the previous question, the answers that we have got, and the proposed uh, solutions there? And and you know, why are we moving on from that first question that was asked around social cohesion? We'll continue this conversation after this.
0: #SFM Talking Point.
1: We continue the conversation this morning. We're looking at the work being done by the Indulamiti Trust. And, of course, it brings together a whole list of other partners, scenario planning uh, for the country. Uh, Dr. Jacob Oma is Director of Operations at the Mapungube Institute. Um, Abba, I just want you to speak to us then around the issue of the changing question. Because when uh, Indulamiti launched its work in 2018, as Tolelo was explaining to us, the scenarios were for 2030. We're now looking forward to 2035. Have we satisfied ourselves around the the, the work done in terms of what this country will look like in
2: 2030? (laughs) Not quite satisfied. So as uh, Kuala explained, you know, we had the three scenarios and Guara Guara was the kind of worst case scenario. And I think uh, the effect of what we've seen in the last two years, uh, we had to take that into account. And we debated actually for a long time, do we actually need a new set of scenarios or a new process uh, that we should uh, go along? Um, And, you know, we found that the barometer that we had was showing us that uh, the, we have we use 55 indicators to tell us which direction we're going in, and it was indicating that not only are we where we in Guaraguará, but we're even falling off the chart as far as Guaraguará is concerned. That's how bad the situation has become, and we didn't even have a name for the scenario for where we are today. So we just refer to it as GG Plus Guaraguará Plus. So the starting point has shifted dramatically. Um, you know, we we didn't, you know, there's, uh, sometimes we can say, oh, well, we could look back and we should have been able to predict a pandemic because people kept talking about the possibilities of a pandemic. But we hadn't built in a pandemic at the extent of which COVID-19 represented. So that was the one big shift. The other big shift is that uh, the previous scenarios did notice the whole issue of global rivalry and so forth. But you can see how much that has intensified, and in particular with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ramifications that has had. So that was the second one. The third one was, you know, again, we were tracking the way technology was moving. But I think the one thing COVID-19 has done is to fast track a lot of the applications of digital and especially AI and so forth. Then the fourth one was the, um, the kind of impact that we're seeing on the African continent and the potential that represents of the African continental free trade area. Um, and then the whole climate change and the just transition, uh, narrative started taking a lot more center stage. Uh, we had, again, both that into the previous scenario, but you can see that this has fast tracked a lot more and you can see like just about every day. Uh, your news media, newspapers, et cetera, would have something about climate change and just transition. So there were about five, six sort of tectonic shifts that were happening in our country as well as globally, which said, you know, this future that we're supposed to be preparing ourselves and our society for is becoming more uncertain. And therefore we said, okay, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, on social cohesion. And in fact, you know, that's one of the key drivers that we've identified that will impact on the future. But there's a couple of other key drivers that have uh, emerged. And hence, we ask the question, what would South Africa look like in 2035, keeping in mind all these global changes that we're seeing.
1: So if I understand you uh, clearly then, uh, Abba, you're saying that the scenario for 2030, we are now, at least as far as your projections are concerned, Beyond the worst case scenario that was projected in 2018, which is the Guaraguara, you're saying that effectively um, that Guaraguara state no longer applies because we're likely to be worse off.
2: Yes. Um, In fact, quite interesting, Kathy. You know, we obviously in the writing up of the scenarios shared it with a lot of stakeholders across the board trade unions, political parties, faith-based organizations, et cetera. And President uh, Ramaphosa at the time was deputy president. We kept him up to date until we launched uh, the scenarios. And he said, you know what? I don't think you guys are being imaginative enough. Guara Guara actually doesn't scare me. And that's, you know, we kind of reflected on it. And now when we see the reality, we, we see that, you know, he did have a sense that things could go a lot worse than Guara Guara. Um, sometimes it's the, um, you know, it's, it's a scientific approach, but with a creative element to it that sometimes we get caught up in not wanting to think the extreme, you know, we, we think, oh, well, it can't really get that bad, you know, Uh, or, you know, we don't want to be too wishful and fanciful So it can't really be that good either. So you end up kind of marshaling your scenarios, even though they're very different directions uh, but they kind of, um, you know, you limit it a little bit. You, you don't to scare people by already writing something, because then they won't want to even engage with your scenario. Our job uh, as people that write up scenarios is to get people to think about the decisions they take today with the future, the long term in mind. And by having, you know, we don't intend forecasting the future, we're not As I often say, I'm not a Sangoma. I don't throw the bones. I'm not making forecasts here. I'm just speculating in possible directions that the future could go and then force you to think about it, about the decisions you're taking today.
1: So this new question that you are asking about where we are heading to as as, as a society right and um, the latest the latest question around what will South Africa look like in 2035 One of the issues that has been raised at least before around these scenarios is the extent to which they're considered to be, Credible. And, you know, I'm listening to what you said, um, the deputy president then at the time, Solo Ramaphosa, had to say about the Guaraguara state because um, it's also uh, titled, you know, the false dawn, <laughs> uh, Guaraguara. And that very much tied to when he then rose up to, to, to the presidency. So when it comes to questions of credibility and how policymakers, look at this work that has been done and take it on board how have you gone about that process
2: um so the one thing you know and and this is what we're embedding in this set of scenarios uh, this process is to make sure that more of government and more of society um uh, is going to be asked to look at how do we respond to it so we tended to use the previous scenario as presentations you know people would say oh well you know the ceo will be making the opening remarks can you come into a one-hour presentation before we actually get into a strategizing session now we want people to really immerse themselves in the scenarios and then force them uh, we're going to be doing less presentations but more workshopping and saying look work out uh, how do we respond to these scenarios what does it mean for society what does it mean for your organization and it's going to be a lot more uh, public oriented so that, you know, the kind of ideas we have is to try and make sure that we can get it out more, uh, work more with radio stations like yourself and community radio, community press um, so that more people are involved in it and they can. And the timing is important that we want people to use the scenarios to even challenge the political parties as they campaign for 2024 and ask the individual parties, how do you intend responding to these scenarios? Do you have policies that will make sure we avoid the worst case and we get to the best case scenario?
1: All right. Uh, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Yaqub Oma. In fact, uh, he has to leave this conversation now at 10.30. He's Director of Operations at the Mapungube Institute. Tolela Gashe Gadia will continue with us. She's the acting project leader for the Indulamiti Scenarios Trust. i also take your calls on this particular matter. It's just after 10.30. Time for your latest headlines.
0: Hashtag S F M Talking Point.
1: We continue the conversation on the talking point. Kolelo, you're still on the line, and I want you to talk to us in as far as the scenarios planning then for the future is concerned. You talk about a process of wanting to bring sort of broader society involved in the scenarios planning. What, what, what were the lessons that you've learned, I think, since 2018 around doing this research and then bringing it back to the public, bringing it back to uh, different stakeholders in the country uh, and then perhaps feeling that, well, you know, we weren't part of this process, so we don't know how seriously we should take it.
0: Uh, thank you, Kathy, for that i mean uh, for us it, it, bringing uh society together was always the one of our main objectives because we're concerned with the idea of having an honest dialogue about the issues that we are facing as the country regardless of where you stand or what institution you represent even the makeup of indulamiti itself it's informed by people who represent various organizations and um others are retired um Um, uh, personalities who are really concerned about the country but the idea was to co-create so that the conversation then uh, becomes easy to buy into because you feel that you are part of the making even us uh, coming up with a barometer actually it was through lessons learned during our first year when we went on a road trip across the country, went to all nine provinces telling these stories. But most uh, times, or well, oftentimes we were asked to actually measure and not just tell the story to come up with this barometer. So we implemented it the very following year where and now we can communicate where we are in terms of the three stories. And that's how we ended up in this Guara Guara Plus, which is even worse than our worst case scenario. But another lesson that we've learned through this dialogue is that maybe we should not be as conservative because we were not even a formal um, entity at that time. It was just an initiative, a gathering of uh, equal minds or those who want to contribute something to the country. So we felt that there was no... um, platform for us to forge some of these relationships so that we can encourage now collaboration uh, when uh, uh, these are implemented. For example, if we inform the strategy of a particular organization or government department uh, and so on, how do we ensure that, that the scenarios are infused into their thinking? And for us, the solution that we've been trying to communicate was this idea of social compacting. And we've been hearing a lot about social compacting of uh, lately, but we, we also felt that we needed to unpack it and then we can educate society about the meaning of social compacts, especially since the president is always making reference to it. Uh, but we could not do the work of forging compacts because there is an institution that is formed for such dialogue and compacting and um, and bargaining, which is the NEDLAC. So we do not want to interfere with that space, but rather to educate on what it means to forge these agreements or compacts wherein we have to give or take without holding on to very strong ideological positions because we are so diverse as a country. And um, so right now we are rethinking that strategy because as uh, Dr. Abba Omar has indicated that we feel that there is a need to actually mobilize, especially the state and business because we do require a more activist approach from big business in particular to actually drive the fo- the country forward. So it's no use for us to just uh, convene these dialogues and talk about these things, come to media and, uh, and present and talk about the scenarios without really ensuring that we take it forward. How do we then bring society to come together so that we can have meaningful pacts, not just these talk shops that we always have where declarations are made, but there's no follow-up.
1: When we look at the key driving factors, Kolelua, that are impacting and are likely to impact South Africa's future, I want you to talk, I want you to talk us through what those key driving factors are um, so that at least we have a sense of what the, what the primary issues, at least as highlighted by yourself and some of the other members of the team you work with and the researchers you work with,
0: You know, first, let me just take a step back to how we identify the key driving forces. Uh, Those are actually derived from the process of interviews with, you know, captains of industry, leaders in society, influencers, young people, artists, environmental activists, and so on. So we came up with 26 variables, which are discrete statements about now. 2035, where we're going now is a new horizon. And various statements are made about this future. And remember, these are people who are working in these various sectors. We had to pay special attention to, you know, the economic sector because that is uh, is something that's coming strongly in terms of the pandemic. But also looking at health systems because we were in a pandemic environment at that time, and to ensure that we we are, we we actually pay special focus to that env- environmental issues. We rank them in terms of their uncertainty and impact. So we isolated those variables that were both, uh, that would both have the highest impact on our society, but also at the same time, those that we are most uncertain about. And we identified about four of those, but what was interesting, one variable that was ranked highest across the spectrum was uh, the one that spoke to the um, uh, that spoke to uh, these uh, insecurities. Uh, well, it's, it's more about local and global security threats. And we're very uncertain about, and we know that there's a great impact, but then there's other variables that came up uh, within that, and those spoke to now the economic factors and leadership factors, and that's how we reached the key driving forces. And there's three of them. The first one is the low economic growth trap. And I mean, this is also impacted on by COVID. However, what we see in that key driver is that there's also a bit of an expansion in the informal economy. As we've seen in our homes, people started... uh, starting uh, side hustles and many different things. The creative industries were also coming up with all sorts of creative ways of, you know, presenting their craft, you know, whether it's online or having concerts on Zoom, thus, uh, you know, utilizing or taking advantage of um, uh, the technology. The second key driver is the issue of state weakness and declining democratic accountability, especially within our democratic institutions. Now, you will recall, Kathy, the last time the key there was a key driver on leadership, and it was broad. It was leadership whether it's in our churches, it's in our communities, in our schools, government, business. But this time around, it it brings focus to state weaknesses, in particular our democratic institutions that we always felt were protected, but it seems that they're also declining. You're seeing a sense of lack of uh, accountability within that space. And therefore that also impacts on on trust. And there's also this idea of politics within those institutions that are really driven by party politics and rivalries within that political space. Then the third one is this one now on the internal security threats. I've mentioned already that that variable ranked highest. You know, it didn't matter who was being interviewed, but they, they were really worried about these security threats. And I think we all get a sense of it, that we're not quite secure. And some of the uh, elements that came out in, within that key driver is this issue of, High youth unemployment, which leads to dislocation of young people. There's also anger and distrust that manifests then within that. And then it, it leads to this persistence of a violent society with violent crimes, with social unrest that also tends to be very violent. And part of that, when we try to unpack it, we find that there's also this historical wound That was there in the previous scenarios, but this time around it seems to be amplified because now we've got this uncontrolled immigration, but there's also intra regional migration where, you know, there's contestation around resources and Communities then facing that vulnerability and scapegoating, and thus becoming the victims of uh, our violent, uh, whether it's violent protest or violent crime, and and so on. So they, what we also it was was named specifically, was that the intra party politics within the ANC undermine public confidence. So those are the three driving forces that we're working with. We've played around with those commission further research papers so that we can understand them better especially those ones on security threats and there the papers spoke to disasters you know how we respond to disasters uh, further pandemics uh, and also the history of protest in south africa because we do have a heritage of violent protest here and uh, and now we are waiting the finalization of the stories then that will be informed by those key drivers
1: as as you're speaking, uh, I'm thinking about the 2024 elections. And, you know, of course, we've got different projections at this point. But if what at least some analysts are speaking about, which is um, an ANC that goes below the majority of the vote, so below 50%, and, and the need to form coalition governments, and that then becomes the new future of politics at a national level. Does, how, how is that going to contribute to these factors? And, and, and have you taken a look at all about the, the political state of the country and how that then is likely to impact these scenarios?
0: Kathy, we paid special attention to coalition politics because those already were emerging in the previous uh, 2030 scenarios wherein they were expressed across all three. You will remember in the Guaraguara scenario, what we find is uh, an ANC that's ejected after 2024 with a coalition government emerging thereafter. But then in the isi bourgeois scenario, we see an ANC that splits in the middle along NASRAC lines and both factions go and seek coalitions with various actors, whether on the far right or on the far left. But then it's again uh, a, a coalition politics emerging in a different way. Whereas in the 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 one uh, the the NILA walk scenario, we see an ANC that's reduced in power, also forced uh, to maybe form a coalition with another party, and therefore reducing the decision making power. So they imagine various ways. So they were there in the previous scenarios. And this time around, they emerge again uh, very strongly. And we actually commissioned uh, the Mapungupu Institute, that's MISTRA, that uh, ABBA works for. And uh, there's a, a book there that MISTRA had released on marriages of inconvenience. That's how it's entitled. So we use that to actually unpack uh, this uh how uh, coalition politics will emerge. And again, they're appearing in various ways. I mean, without um, uh, exposing too much of the storylines, there's uh, one of the scenarios actually that speaks to maturing a maturing democracy wherein political parties are able now to manage working within coalitions and 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 then there's other scenarios that speak differently to how uh, coalition uh, governments uh, would manifest
1: and and i think that's one of the you know the biggest sort of challenges that we we find ourselves facing as as a country and lots of different work being done now uh, to sort of think around coalition politics at a national level, and including conversations about you know frameworks around coalition governments that those have been suggestions that have been on the table. Do you uh, you know do, do does the research that you've done suggest that in order for for, for the coalition for coalition politics to reach that state of maturity? that it needs to happen within a certain framework?
0: Yes, that is correct. I mean, like referencing the research that was done again by uh, MISTRA, they look at other Countries in the world, you know, even European examples, you know, Germany and so on, to look at the process of uh, maturing coalition politics. Because in other countries, I mean, this has become second nature, and uh, and 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 we do believe it can also point to an, a, a maturing democracy, as we say. But right now, I mean, because of, of what we've seen at local level, where it seems like coalitions uh, uh, get destabilized, and I suppose those are still teething problems wherein various parties would come together, whereas the ideological underpinnings differ so much. And, and, and then there's that contestation, which then arrests the delivery of services at local level. So I think there is that fear, but um, by the looks of things, you know, in, in mature democracies, Uh, coalition governments can actually work but as you're saying correctly saying they have to be informed by a a particular framework that does not undermine the delivery of even the most basic services
1: we'll continue the conversation with you in a moment and then i want us to take a look at least a closer look at this issue around internal security because that's a big one uh, i think as well especially when we speak about it from the context of anger and distrust that exists among the population and what that means uh, for the country's future.
0: The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana weekdays 9am till midday.
1: Alright, so we're looking then at the work done by Indulamiti Trust and they are basically talking and paving, creating scenarios of what South Africa will look like in future. And as we heard earlier, they've moved on from the 2030 scenarios and are now looking at uh, 2035, what will South Africa look like? And that's based on what are perceived increased uh, pressures that the country is likely to face And by all indications, a worsening state of affairs from the last scenarios that they published. The issue of security is a big one. I think when we look at some of the figures in isolation, so we can talk about... The protests that happen to that happen in South Africa on a day-to-day basis, right? That's sitting in at over, uh, you know, a thousand protests um, annually. Uh, if we're taking into account the entire country, we then also have um, matters of security risks such as the high levels of crime. Um, there's, of course, the July unrest that would have been a significant contributor to what can happen. Uh, when matters of security and matters of poverty are also not taken seriously. How worried should we be about security at this point?
0: Kathy, I think we need to be very worried about the security issue because not only is it internal security threats in terms of a violent protest and uh, these moments of rupture internally, such as, you know, the, the July protest of 2021, we, there's also the issue of external security threats, which is something that we have not really paid attention to as a country. And already the one key driver is a state that is not capable So how secure are we as a nation if the state is not able to contain, you know, the risk? So the approach that we took when we actually unpacked that um, key driver was uh, we actually took a historical view first by looking at the history. Of protest in South Africa. We know that we've always had a culture of protest, you know, throughout, um, you know, uh, from uh, the protest against apartheid all the way to the democratic transition, but it continues and it tends to be violent in nature and and also, as we've seen uh, in in the July unrest, but we also thought it would be unwise for us to just focus on July unrest because a lot of researchers wanted to understand this because it seemed to be so politically fraught because it was on the uh, uh, on the tail, it was around the time of the arrest of uh, the former president Sumer. But then we had to go back in time and understand what it means right now. But also, what emerged from the scholars that participated in 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 that uh, conference, so is that there's is the issue of broad human insecurities, you know, in terms of just you know safety and security in South Africa. It, it, we are in an insecure country, and the way we experience it is so unequal. You and I may be able to, you know, opt out by um, in, uh, subscribing to a private security company, whereas the majority is largely dependent on the state, which is not capable to even foresee, because it's another challenge. There's, this, there's these unforeseen ruptures or disruptive events that happen on a large scale. Some of them have to do with environmental issues and where you've seen the floods as well, because that's also a a risk to the country. And we're still unable to even recover from the impact of those natural disasters. But also there's the issue of uh, risk management itself. There seems to be no risk management framework for the country so that we can uh, identify critical elements for short, medium, and long term planning for the country. So then that renders us uh, insecure sure. as a nation. And, and I've said, I mean, it will have the greatest impact, but we still don't understand it. And that's something that we need to look very closely, especially where external threats mm-hmm. are concerned, because we seem to be inward looking, we're novel gazing all the time. And yes, we have our internal ruptures that threaten our security, but we need to also have a state or even a state that can partner with other social partners such as um, a business or, or labor or civil society to I mitigate to, for these things i want
1: to bring in miriam who wants to contribute to this conversation miriam good morning
2: hello good morning to you and your panel Kathy. Mm. yeah yes i've been listening to the discussion my lights just went off now but anyway my question is that in the scenario planning have they included values and principles uh, inclusive in it because that is also part of our guiding structure for the future because as grannies, grandparents, we are very concerned of the future because knowing that South Africa is a country that's quite religious spiritually and so far, it seems to be phasing out of our democratic system.
1: So...
2: So I'd like to know if that's part and parcel, because I think it's actually really important for it to be included as a guiding factor.
1: All right, thanks for that, Miriam. Koleloa,
0: values, principles? That is a very good question. All
1: right, I'm not sure what's happening with that line to Kolelwa there. Is she still up? Do we still have her on? All right, it looks like we're having a bit of an issue. Um, with getting Golila's response to that question. Not sure why it is because the the network seems to be up and stable, uh, but I wonder if it has to do perhaps even with maybe load shedding either in her area or in our area. Um, Yeah, so we'll see if we can get her back up uh, to try and and answer Miriam's question on principles. But so what then Nkulamiti will be doing is that they will be launching the bulk of their work later on in the year it's expected we're expecting that report around 2035 to be available from about October um, and it will include all of the work that you've heard Olewa and Dr. Yagoub Abba-Oma speak about in the last hour. Well, I guess we're going to have to leave it there because we are aging towards 11 o'clock and we're out of time then for this conversation. Miriam, I'm so sorry that we weren't able to get you an answer from Oleloa. We've simply lost her on the line and we are unable to get through to her at this point. So coming up on the other side of the 11 o'clock news, we'll get into... Our health feature, and today we're talking about skin cancer. For now, it's 11 o'clock.
0: The Talking Point with Kathy Mozazana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
1: Six After 11 o'clock, welcome to the third and final hour of The Talking Point uh, for this Wednesday morning. Coming up in this hour for our health feature today, we are going to be looking at melanoma, um, also known as skin cancer, at least, you know, the worst kind of skin cancer. Dr. Johan DeVette uh, will be joining us for that conversation shortly. Uh, Miriam, good news. I did manage to get an answer from Olegloa uh, just about your question around values and principles and whether those f- also form part of these this scenario planning. Uh, yeah, she she was hit by load shedding and that's why uh, we lost her on the line. So I'll just play that voice note response from her uh, to your question and then we'll get into our health feature.
0: Maria's question, I uh, was saying that um, with diverse priorities and conflicting values and a sense of principles as a country... We then relied on the Constitution, in particular, the preamble of the Constitution, which then we use as something that somewhat uh, binds us as a society however as we all know that the constitution is also now starting to get questioned and contested as it is regarded as a document that doesn't serve the whole of society and i think just to caution i know maria speaks about uh, christianity or religion but south africa is a secular country and um and the constitution you know allows for various belief systems so again once again we need to find that uh, north star that can actually give us direction in terms of our sense of collective values. Thank you.